So maybe a first question would be, give us a state of just your tribe. Madison has just been designated in December to Axfield as the home of F35A. Doctor, can you start? Give us an overview. With the state Supreme Court deciding challenges to Governor Tony Evers' public health emergency powers to issue declarations like face mask and 25% 25% occupancy limits, the is be, that's being decided by the state Supreme Court. That puts even more pressure on our county and municipal health departments to act to curb the COVID-19 pandemic. Eric Osterman is the executive director of the, of the Wisconsin Association of Local Health Departments and Boards. He can talk about that local fight involving frontline healthcare workers. Eric, welcome to Wisconsin Eye. Thank you, Steve. Well, let's give me the overview first. How are local health departments keeping up, well, or not keeping up with the surge of COVID positives? And how's morale in those local health departments, please? Yeah, well, Steve, I appreciate the opportunity to connect with you today and, and share a little bit from the local health department perspective. Um, I'd like to start by thanking all of our local health officers in the state and their staff who are some of the most remarkable and dedicated professionals that I've had a chance to work with. Um, they've all selected careers that are service oriented. And I think their work during this pandemic has demonstrated that commitment, their character, and certainly their professionalism. Um, you know, how have they kept up? Uh, I, I think really basing the work of the pandemic on what core traditional public health work is. Um, our, our fight against COVID, it really follows basic communicable disease prevention methods. The, the scale, the scope, the quantity, the duration are certainly different, but you know, first and foremost, they're starting by applying their experience, um, their past work, uh, the plans that they've developed prior to this pandemic and applying that in their communities uh, with and amongst their staff as well as partners. Uh, it's certainly difficult uh, given the, the scale of what we're dealing with and again, the duration, uh, but they're regularly adapting those plans in order to um, do what they can to, to, to curb the spread and to reduce transmission in communities. Um, I'd say overall, uh, we need to continue to emphasize that core public health work and for everyone to, to not underestimate the importance of value of basic prevention measures that all of us can follow, uh, regardless of what the health department uh, is able to do within the community. And that's taking care of ourselves and others uh, by distancing, uh, face coverings, as well as practicing good hygiene. Well, there's been an awful lot of news stories of the stresses on our hospital system, especially with mm -hmm. ICU beds in light of the recent surge now lasting four to six weeks. Mm -hmm. um, talk to me about the additional stresses on local health departments because of the recent surge, please. Yep, no, absolutely. Um, again, I, I think similar to our healthcare partners, the volume is is a challenge. And so that, that volume has impacted, is certainly taking a toll on staffing as well as the public and what we would generally refer to as COVID fatigue. Um, I think our, our health departments are also facing and deal with um, 
sometimes I, I would describe it as in addition to that COVID fatigue, it's just a, a lack of consideration and disregard for the importance and the significance and the seriousness of the pandemic. Um, there's an urgency that just doesn't exist. Um, we see that in continued gatherings. We see that in the difficulty in, in, in contacting individuals. And then once we do their compliance with the, the health department staff, uh, and, and certainly the, the lack of thorough or full compliance uh, with those contacts that we were able to reach out to um, in, um, in following public health practices. Unfortunately, I think on top of all of that, there's just a lot of misinformation and competing messages. And in the end, it's really simple. We're dealing with a highly contagious virus that we don't currently have a vaccine for, and it's deadly. And we need everybody uh, has a role to play in preventing community spread. Uh, Eric, as the pandemic has evolved and surged in Wisconsin, has contract tracing largely become a function of local health departments, sir? Yeah, contact tracing is still a key and primary function of local health department response to communicable disease outbreaks. Um, you know, the goal and the priority continues to be to contact all positive cases, but as you you know, as you suggest, it, it's difficult as the quantity of cases continues to rise. And so the ability to contact everybody according to our target levels has changed. The, the goal is to contact all positive cases within a 24-hour period. And it's become difficult to do that just with the volume of cases. Some health departments are able to continue um, to, to meet that goal. Others are looking at adapting their plans in order to uh, do the best they can to follow up with contacts. Uh, some examples of that include, um, as has been shared in the news, asking contacts to follow up with those uh, that might be at risk, um, working with partners in the community to help with some of the contact tracing, whether it's schools and businesses who can reach out to and inform contacts of positive cases, um, contacting individuals by letter when necessary, uh, and then also prioritizing when it becomes difficult to contact all in a 24 hour period, looking at the data and prioritizing based on demographic or risk factors. In the end, none of those alternatives are ideal um, and there are no replacement for the education that health department staff can share with somebody on the phone, uh, but it's an unfortunate reality of where we're at right now. Well, broadly speaking statewide, has contract tracing evolved to the point where if you're contacted, you should be the one to contact um, those you might have been in contact with in the past few days. Have, have, have we come to that point where the, where the contract tracers cannot contact others who may have been exposed? Again, it, it's, it has become in some cases not possible to meet that standard of contacting all within a 24-hour period. So the, the necessity of uh, and the dependence on individuals to contact their close contacts is, is something that the number of health departments have moved to in order to manage those, those volumes. Well, is, isn't this an honor system? If I'm contacted saying I might have been in contact with someone who exposed, it's an honor system where I might think of who I might, be, might have been in contact with in recent days and reached out mm -hmm. to them. It, the heart of it is an honor system. Let me be blunt, is it mm -hmm. still working? Uh, it certainly is an honor system, the degree to which it's not working. I, I wouldn't say that the lack of 
complete contact tracing is is what has led to the continued cases, certainly one piece of that. Um, I think when you describe an honor system, that honor system exists with individuals reaching out to contacts. It, you know, it, it also uh, is the same when we are able to be in touch with folks and people sharing um, sharing that information. And again, following the honor system and, and being compliant with requests from contact tracers who are able to get in touch with folks. Well, you mentioned COVID fatigue. Mm-hmm. In light of COVID fatigue, do you feel that fewer people when they are uh, called by contract tracers are actually taking the next step and reaching out to those who they may have been in contact with? Or are they just going, c'est la guerre, and I, I'm not gonna do it? Yeah, yeah, it, you know, that absolutely happens uh, in some cases. I would say in fairness to uh, the public, it, it's, it's not everyone by any means. And so cooperation has changed over time since the beginning of the pandemic. It, it may be because of COVID fatigue. I, I also think, as I mentioned before, the misinformation um, in, in the, the competing messages that are out there sometimes make it difficult as well. So um, there's certainly less cooperation, um, but, but there are still people out there who, as you mentioned, are following an honor system and doing everything that they can to keep their, their family, their neighbors, their colleagues safe and healthy. Just to clarify, has testing largely become a function of, of the state and not so much the local health departments, Eric? Oh, I think there's a number of partners who have been involved in testing. So um, as you know and others, testing is a key component of the response plan. Um, I, I think as is, 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 is has been shared, uh, healthcare partners in this state have done a tremendous amount of testing uh, and have been a big part of the state's testing plans. Uh, the University of Wisconsin system has been very um, forward thinking in their allocation of uh, the rapid test across the state. Um, in our health departments in partnership with the National Guard and other community partners uh, have also been a key part of that, that, testing, that testing plan. Has the turnover among, um, with local health department workers and contract tracers in light of, let's be blunt, some of the hostility, some of those tough answers that they get, has, has turnover been a problem with our local health department workers and, and contact tracers? Yeah, I, I think that's probably one of the most unfortunate and um, lesser known impacts of the pandemic. Um, A number of health officers and their staff have unfortunately left either through resignation or some planned retirements. There are health officers who have delayed their retirement because of the pandemic, but um, there are a number who have left. And I think over the last, every week I'm learning of uh, another departure, um, a a resignation. Um, And what I found is there's a disproportionate number of those departures who tend to be our newer health officers, um, those within the first five years of practice. And that has an obvious and immediate impact on the community where you're losing a leader who has been involved in developing and managing a response plan. Um, we're, we're fortunate in many cases to be able to replace that health officer with somebody who has worked within the health department. Uh, but even then, you're, you're moving someone into another position and, and you still have a vacancy in another key management position. Um, and so the, the resignations have, have been difficult in the immediate. 
I think a longer term consequence of those resignations is also looking at what we're losing in regards to skill and talent. Um, we have a really dynamic group of new health officers in the state and those that are going into public health um, have different, <clears throat> in, in many ways have um, experiences, expertise, skills, academic training that, that has evolved over time. And so over the last couple of years, in, in recent history, we've been able to bring in, again, some really dynamic, creative um, health officers who were losing because of the, the impact of the pandemic on, on the workforce. And that I think is gonna, that's a long-term consequence that I think is, is really unfortunate. Given the major policy decisions on the uh, mask up and enclosed areas and 25% occupancy, are local health department officials across the state, and I know you're speaking broadly, are they still mm-hmm. responding to complaints about this person didn't wear a mask in a, in a retail setting, mm-hmm. this person, this business violated the 25% occupancy? First question. And then second, if they are responding, are they um, following the Milwaukee, uh, the Milwaukee example and sending police officers on some of these calls, mm-hmm. sir? Yep, yep. Um, I would say that most of the responses are complaint-based. And so there, there isn't an active investigation of violations of either face coverings or capacity restrictions. So most of the response, again, is complaint-based. Um, when there is a complaint filed or reported or shared, uh, that follow-up is primarily done by a health department more often than not over the phone. Um, there, there generally isn't a necessity to be on site or have a you know, premise-based interaction with an individual or a business. And, and the goal in that is really education in, in working with an individual to provide information, education. If it's with a business or an organization, it might be technical assistance in order to uh, achieve compliance. And, and I'll share with you in the years that I've worked with health officers, I think they, they do an excellent job of problem solving with community partners and organizations to achieve that compliance, not through fine or penalty or punishment, but, but through education, training, and again, technical assistance. The second question is it relates to who is involved in that, that response. Um, Sometimes it's um, multiple departments or different agencies responding. More often than not, it's, it's the health department. Um, and again, the, the goal is to achieve that, that compliance, not necessarily through a fine or punishment, but through education and technical assistance. Um, so I would say most, the other limiting factor, quite honestly, is the available capacity that our response partners have. And so, you know, it varies by 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 community um, based on based on those those different factors. So the, usually, the complaint response is over the phone, and the goal is to to achieve compliance. Mm-hmm. Does that mean there have been very few criminal uh, referrals to uh, county DAs or city attorneys, sir? I would say there 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 have been less than what there there probably exist, and and again that that um, the, the court action is kind of a final step in what any of us would want to achieve. And I, I, would, I would briefly share that one, one method of approach that has been discussed is what's referred to as a, 
a stepped enforcement process where the health department issues an initial advisory that lays out what the recommended prevention strategies and mitigation strategies are. And unless there's a complaint or a report of a violation of those advisories filed, there, there is no community action. If there is a report or a violation, that interaction results in um, a discussion um, and um, a, a notice uh, with a request for corrective action. And then if there's repeated violation of that order, only then would you follow up with uh, a, a citation or further action. And, are you that's, that's, that's less common than not. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Are, are you aware of any businesses, bars, restaurants that have been put out of business as a result of repeat violations, Eric? Uh, I am not directly aware of any. Okay, um, okay. Um, what about this disparity? And is that the right term? You have Dane County mm -hmm. ordering a ban on in on in person uh, uh, in person gatherings, and we're two days away from Thanksgiving. And mm -hmm. then other counties have not taken, even though Racine just uh, may, stiffened its safer Racine guidelines. Mm -hmm. But you have other counties, maybe rural counties, who haven't been as proactive with such strict orders. Mm -hmm. Is this a healthy continuum or disparity? in terms of what the public is supposed to understand and behave? Yeah, yeah. I um, since the start of the pandemic, um, well, I'll take a step back. I, I think prior to this specific pandemic, any of the emergency planning that had been developed or anticipated for a global pandemic would have anticipated some sort of statewide or, or broader policy decisions because the pandemic really, by definition, is significantly broader than any arbitrary jurisdiction uh, or geographic boundary. Um, so I, I don't think going into this, there was, there was an expectation that we'd be making local decisions, the same local decisions across different municipalities in the state. So um, has the pandemic impacted communities differently across the state? Arguably, yes, but I think where we're at right now is it's, it's impacted everybody terribly and some even worse. So the, the, the floor, if you will, is, is pretty critical with with some being worse so the difference between communities is bad or worse and yet we still don't have is and yet we still have this patchwork response to a global pandemic um you know the governor attempted to early on um have statewide policies in place in order to you know best prevent spread um there's been limitations and challenges to that which have made things difficult and, and really we're in a situation where every community, um, we've kind of resorted to this concept of a, of a local response to a global pandemic. That local response inevitably leads to um, some variation across jurisdictions, which um, makes for an inefficient response. Um, and I think can confuse the public by having different rules in different locations. Well, um, does that mean that in terms of a protecting the public, um, the governor's powers, since the, he, he has a, some statewide authority, although whether it goes beyond 60 days is what the Supreme, Supreme Court will decide. Mm -hmm. In an ideal world, 
there should be statewide uniform rules instead of this, I'm going to use the word patchwork, sir? Mm -hmm. I think there are certainly some policies that need to be considered on a statewide basis, or at least some set of guidelines that can be used to determine what the local response or what the local activity ought to be. Um, you know, I would share going back to the, the different challenges to the governor's order, I, the, 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 the criticism that there are repeated orders is just a reality of the pandemic. The, we're, we're months into the pandemic. And so, again, the criticism that the governor just continues to repeat the same order, or our local health officers are repeating the same order, is a, is a nature of the fact that we're in a pandemic and cases aren't getting better. Um, I, I also think this, again, this concern about a patchwork response, I think people underestimate or underappreciate what the concerns or challenges are with that. And if we look at, you know, this concept of urban versus rural or low activity in some areas compared to others, again, the floor for everybody is bad with some being even worse. So I think there are some policies. I think, you know, the example of the face covering order very appropriate statewide because there's no area in the state that would not benefit from a face covering order. Well, I was struck by a comment by Justice Brian Hagedorn mm -hmm. uh, last week in oral arguments when he said, and I'm going to quote a few words, local governments, quote, have broader powers, close quote, to declare emergencies and fight COVID than maybe the 60-day limit put on the governor. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, your reaction to that? Do you think uh, your local health departments and boards do have broader authority in the statutes? Well, there's there's a very close relationship between the orders and authority that the state has either in the form of the governor or the state health officer and, and our local health officers themselves. So, you know, which is greater? I, I think it depends on the situation. Um, I, I think there, there was um, in state law um, there, there, there has, there's, there's a history of granting authority to the local health departments, um, that, that I, that I'm not sure if people are, are really familiar with what that history is. Again, state law is very clear when it was drafted I think 40 years ago, the current statutes that are referred to guiding, you know, local health officer authority, um, were put in place 40 years ago, um, that 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 enabling legislation passed with overwhelming bipartisan support, an 87 to five vote in the assembly at the time, a unanimous vote in the Senate. Governor Dreyfus signed the bill, and again, you know what we now refer to as 25203 was adopted in a in an overwhelming bipartisan nature to give that authority to local health departments. And again, that particular statute has a relationship to what authorities or power the governor has. But as it relates to, you know, what our local health departments need, they certainly need that, that ability to do what's best in their communities. And I think the public in general supports that, to be honest. There's, there's a lot of media attention on the cases that are being filed. But I think the public in general supports that authority and the work and the role of the local health departments. There was a referendum uh, on the ballot in Brown County earlier this fall during the general election. And that referendum uh, asked the public whether or not um, the authority for local health departments, uh, local health officers should be subject to um, further um, 
elected leader oversight. And that, that referendum failed on a 44 to 56 margin. So on a, on a pretty significant margin, that referendum failed. And and I think as, as folks know, if you look at the polling on some of the COVID policies, take for example, the, the face coverings, you know, over 70% of the public supports um, required face covering policy. So in summary, um, our local health officers, their authority, you know, it has a relationship to what the state's authority is you know, which is, which is more, it depends on the situation, but in the end, our local health officers need that authority in order to properly and responsibly uh, respond to and control and suppress communicable disease in communities. Well, I, I need to respect your time, so just a few more questions. Yesterday's lawsuit filed by the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty directly asked the state Supreme Court to strike down Dane County's ban on no indoor gatherings. Now, only Dane County was sued, but mm -hmm. how important is that in terms of uh, the implications for the authority and powers of local health departments and boards, Eric? Yeah, I, you know, it's, it, it's a similar story to previous lawsuits. And again, um, a, a perceived you know, a, a challenge to that authority and role and responsibility of the local health officer. I think it's grounded. I, I, I think it's grounded in many ways in a misunderstanding of what that local authority is for a local health department. So, is there a concern of what precedent that case might set? Absolutely. Um, the grounding and the foundation for that suit, I think, is quite honestly and candidly flawed. the The reality is. There have been restrict. There, there's there's been guidance for months on what we can all do in order to protect ourselves and protect our neighbors. But we continue to have uncontrolled spread. In the case of Dane County, uncontrolled spread, and indoor gatherings are a source of that spread. Um, and, and now, on top of all of that, we're dealing with a previously unmanageable loss of life and a risk to everybody um, beyond just those who may uh, may get COVID. Um, I really can't explain that any clearer than what the county executive did, as well as the thousands of employees at UW Health this past weekend and their their call out to the public that we're, we're in a bad place with no sign of things getting better. And as it relates to the local health officer's responsibility, that starts with a thorough investigation of what the risk is to the community and, and prompt an immediate, you know, prompt action in response to that to control and suppress disease. And that's exactly what Dane County is doing. That's exactly what all of our local health officers are doing. And as state leaders have have shared, the response right now is 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 local. And so again, our, our health officers are doing what they need to under current circumstances and situations. Okay, let's play out this situation. Well, six months from now, there's a vaccine and COVID is not the raging threat to sicken, hospitalize and kill us. Mm -hmm. And you're testifying before the Joint Finance Committee, which is drafting the next state budget. Um, what are you gonna tell them that your local health department boards and counties need in terms of lessons learned from the pandemic, Eric? Yeah, so great question. I appreciate it. I think that's a great concluding question. I, I think what our health departments need is to continue the current uh, authority that's in place for local health officers to take the action that they need to protect their communities. They, they absolutely need to have that. They need to be able to act quickly. And, and we need to understand that they're doing that um, as um, 
is staffed within uh, a city or county that is led by elected officials. So there, there's, there's oversight existing. So I think it's important for everyone to think through what the current situation really is. And it's a health officer that is hired by your city or county to protect the community, conducting an investigation and taking all reasonable and necessary steps to control communicable disease. In regards to, so I, I think affirming those that current authority is really critical. I, I think another piece that I would ask the legislature to consider given the experience that we've had um, these past several months uh, is some further protection for our local health officers. I would share that um, one of the things that, that we've asked legislative leaders to consider is um, some um, explicit protection for local health officers. 35 other states in the country have, um, uh, have penalties in place for either threats or intimidation of local health officers. And you know, that's something that we don't have in Wisconsin and that we should really consider. So I think that on top of what is, you know, clear um, uh, authority for that local health officer, you know, would be what we'd ask. Okay, just two final, very, very, very quick mm -hmm. questions. Is uh, as you deal with the frontline workers who are stressed out, um, is the mm -hmm. biggest encouraging sign the, the, the announcement that there's potentially three effective vaccines that are out there? Let's uh, end with some good news here. Yep, yep, no, absolutely. I think that's great news for all of us. And I, I think um, the, the state, uh, our local health officers, our healthcare partners, others uh, have been working um, really hard to develop plans to make sure that that good news, um, that, that once we receive the vaccines, that, that we have plans in place to efficiently and effectively distribute those. So absolutely, the, the news that there are uh, more and more resources that will be available for us to implement mass vaccination, community vaccination is, is great news for all of us. And then finally, how many people are gonna be at your family's Thanksgiving day table? Uh, we are um, just our immediate family. Now we, we have six kids, so there's a lot of us. So we'll, we'll have a full table and lots of food, but um, you know, we'll, be, um, uh, we'll be celebrating just amongst us. Thank you. Eric Osterman is the Executive Director of the Wisconsin Association of Local Health, Health Departments and Boards. Eric, thank you so much for a very informative session. Be safe, happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. I, an independent, nonprofit media network with a mission to inform, educate, and engage the citizens of Wisconsin. Wisconsin Eye is the nation's first and only independently funded state civics broadcast network, providing gavel to gavel access to government proceedings and events at the state capitol. 